In this podcast, we look at the unification of Germany and Italy in the middle of the 19th century, certainly two of the most important events of the history of that century. We saw that nationalism was an extraordinarily powerful force, but that in the first half of the 19th century, it was leveraged by the liberals who tried to achieve nationhood in order to achieve their liberal goals, small government, voting by middle-class Europeans, and that's about it. But we also saw that in the revolutions of 1848, the middle class was unsuccessful. The revolutions of 1848 all ended with the return to power of the monarchy backed up by the aristocracy. After 1848, it was the army and the aristocracy and the kings who led the way to nationhood. For example, in Prussia, there was a prime minister to the king, William I, and the prime minister was Otto von Bismarck. Bismarck was sympathetic to the monarchy and to the aristocracy, but he also was a staunch nationalist. He was an enemy of liberalism, though, and that's why the aristocracy and the monarchy liked him. Well, Bismarck figured that if he brought the military and the aristocracy on board, he could achieve what the liberals had failed to achieve, namely a united Germany. This was a major obstacle because... Germany had been divided into dozens of principalities, and these all would have to be cobbled together in one nation if German nationalism was to be achieved. Napoleon had divided Germany into these principalities, and they remained divided after the Congress of Vienna when something called the German Confederation was created. Bismarck showed that by bringing on board the king and the aristocracy, he could achieve the dream of nationalism for Germany. What he proposed to do was to fight a series of wars, first against Austria and then against France, in order to inflame the passions of the German people, regardless of where they lived. Germans in Bavaria may not agree with Germans in Berlin, but what they do agree on is that they don't like Frenchmen and they don't like Austrians. Therefore, if Bismarck could involve the German states in a war against France and or Austria, or better yet, both, then the Germans would find something in common with one another and they might support a nation under the control of the aristocrats and the king. And, of course, the aristocrats and the king would support this because they would be in control as well. So Bismarck proceeded to leverage or engineer a war against France, which was the Franco-Prussian War. In this war, Bismarck was able to get Napoleon, Louis Napoleon, the emperor of France, to foolishly declare war on Prussia. Because Prussia had a much greater army than France, Prussia was, re- was able to roll right over France. 
1871, France was thoroughly defeated, and William I was crowned Emperor of a United Germany at the Palace of Versailles outside of Paris, of all places. This was a slap in the face to the French. The French also had to give up territory to the new Germany in the provinces of Alsace and Lorraine, which tended to go back and forth between France and Germany as a result of a long series of wars. France was also forced to pay a huge indemnity. That means they were charged money, taxes essentially, for having lost the war. And they had to pay a big bill to Germany, which was a crushing debt, which also reinforced the sense of rage and humiliation that the French felt against the Germans. But the war against France had united the Germans. Bavarians and Germans in Berlin and everywhere else were able to unite against the common outsider. But what we have as a result of the Franco-Prussian War is a Germany that was militaristic, anti-liberal, that means anti-freedom, and nationalistic. A military monarchy. Now, if that sounds like the Germany of the early 20th century leading towards Hitler, that's no coincidence, because this development was going to put Germany on that road to a disastrous 20th century, not only for Germany, but also for the world. Now, in the case of Italy, it was accomplished in much the same fashion. The man who cobbled together the Italian states was a man named Count Camillo di Cavour. He was a lot like Bismarck. He was sympathetic to the aristocracy, and he was also sympathetic to the army. Now, he was the prime minister of a province of Italy called Piedmont Sardinia. Italy was divided into provinces, just as Germany was. Italy was not a nation until 1871, the same year Germany became a nation. And as I said, Italy became a nation using the same methods that Germany used, namely statecraft and war. Statecraft is devious diplomacy, and war speaks for itself. Once again, Italy was going to become a nation ruled by a king and a military monarchy that was anti-liberal, and it would happen through war and devious diplomacy. Once again, that was a harbinger of the future when, in the 20th century, Italy would become an ally of Hitler's in the Second World War. So, bad things were happening in Europe in the 19th century that would lead to worse things in the 20th century. Now, what Cavour did is he took a look at all the different provinces of Italy, and he realized that to put them all together would require certain things to happen. The provinces were Piedmont, Sardinia, which, of course, Cavour controlled, 
the province of Nice, which once had been French but was Italian at this time, the province of Venetia, where Venice is located, the province of Lombardy, which is in northwestern Italy, and the province of the Papal States, which were states in Rome controlled by the Pope. Finally, there was southern Italy. Now, the only one of these states that had real military power was Piedmont, Sardinia, and of course Cavour controlled that. But in order to unify Italy, he would have to get the Pope's support. Now remember, the Pope had been one of the major obstacles to Italian unification under the liberals because the Pope associated the liberals with the radical liberals of the French Revolution who had tried to get rid of the Catholic Church. So as long as liberals led the way to nationhood, the Pope would never support nationalism or an Italian nation. But Cavour convinced him to support an Italian nation that would be dominated by conservative kings and a military-style monarchy. So, Cavour was able to convince the Pope to get on board, and he promised the other Italians that they would get what they needed if they joined forces in the war against Austria, backed by France, to liberate the northern provinces of Italy from Austrian troops which were occupying that area. Once again, by making war on non-Italians, Cavour could make the Italian provinces see that they had something in common, namely that they weren't French and they weren't Austrians. In order to make this happen, Cavour managed to make Austria fire the first shot in a war against Italy. But through secret diplomacy, he had arranged to get Napoleon, the Emperor of France, to promise to de declare war on Austria uh, after the war had started. And Cavour knew that there was no way Austria could win the war if it had to fight against both Piedmont, Sardinia, and France. So when the war started between Austria and Cavour's province, France declared war on Austria. Now, the secret deal here was that Cavour promised France that if it did this, it would return the province of Nice, a city in what well, today southern France, it would return Nice to France, which is what happened. But once Napoleon got Nice back, he got cold feet and he decided he did not want to continue the war, especially because the Pope condemned the war against Austria, France versus Austria. And France, you remember, was a Catholic country. So France soon pulled out of the war, but not before Cavour had liberated the northern states, had gotten the Pope on board, and had substantially unified Italy. Once again, you see that Italy was unified by a military monarchy 
ruled by a conservative aristocracy that was opposed to liberalism and that had used war and devious diplomacy, just like Bismarck had done, to make this new nation possible. So you have two states, Italy and especially Germany, which were going to dominate Central Europe and create tensions that one day would lead to World War I in 1914, largely because of the strength of military-style nationalism, which had been born in those two countries in 1870 and 1871. In our next podcast, we will look at one of the most famous ideas in all of history, the ideas of Charles Darwin, which had political implications as we will see in a future podcast.